Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Coming up in just a few minutes, we are mired in controversy around Dog Nation. Uh, dueling opinion pieces over the weekend at DogNation.com. One from me, one from our buddy Connor Riley regarding the big off-season question for Georgia in these remaining months heading towards the start of the upcoming season. So we'll kind of sort all this out here in a little bit in terms of what matters in in regards to the unanswered questions for UGA post-spring. We'll do a lot of that with Connor Riley here coming up in just a little bit. Before we get to that, though, the NFL draft is on Thursday, and it's one of those weird things where I hate most of the pre-draft conversation because, you know, it's fairly all typical. You have a lot of negativity. You have a lot of, you know, what almost seems like a, you know, aggressive like campaign of slander against some of these prospects kind of drive them drown down the draft boards. You see that kind of going on. But for as much as I d- sometimes don't like a lot of the pre-draft conversation, I do love the draft itself. It's just really good TV to kind of, you know, some of the pictures sort of feel like you already know there's intrigue like that, say three four five spot and then that obviously impacts what happens a lot uh in the remaining picks there in the first round this is the kind of the time where it sort of gets really good it's almost like politics in a way that if you follow politics all year long by the time you get to election day you're sort of tired of it but if you kind of just sort of tune in at the last minute it all kind of seems sort of fresh draft stuff can be kind of the same way that if you've held off really getting deep into it frankly you're probably just as informed as anybody else is and you're sort of arriving at the right time as we really do separate facts from fiction and figuring out where you know certain guys are going with that in mind it is appropriate to begin the show this way by saying there are some former UGA stars who are right at the thick of this draft conversation uh, here as we head towards Thursday including the two defensive backs Tyson Campbell Eric Stokes uh, obviously the two quarterbacks here uh, Ian Rapport put it out on Twitter in response to something that Tom Pelissero had written that he now sees Tyson Campbell let me read this to you from Rap Sheet who says there are lots of interesting names in the Tom Pelissero story and it sounds like Georgia cornerback Tyson Campbell has a good chance of going number one or shouldn't in the uh, in the first round he means and then obviously he mentioned some other stuff there too but a rap sheet saying now he thinks that Tyson Campbell has a good chance of going in the first round but Tom Pelissero took that a step further not just Campbell who has a chance to be a first round pick according to the NFL.com writer he says Eric Stokes potentially has a chance there as well what Pelissero says is is that both Campbell and Stokes to help their cause leading up to the draft with blazing 40-yard dash times at Georgia's Pro Day. Campbell was a 4-3-6. Stokes was a 4-2-9. Uh, one GM apparently tells Tom Palacero says that if there's a run, meaning a bunch of cornerbacks get taken, then both of these guys could end up going in the first round. I think Campbell has a little more upside. Stokes is a little closer to being uh, able to play immediately. Uh, he goes on to say, this is uh, Tom Palacero at NFL.com, that ball skills are part of the question on both players. Uh, Stokes, 6 foot, 5'8", uh, 5'8", uh, 7-inch, 194 pounds, did have four interceptions. Campbell tied for the team lead with five pass breakups. He says that with just two cornerbacks, J.C. Horn and Patrick Sertain, virtual locks for round one, and the stock of Virginia Tech's Caleb Fairley clouded by two back surgeries, it's a matter of when the next tier of corners begin flying off the board, either late in the first round or early in the second round. That does seem to be kind of the tipping point for uh, those guys right now. But what's interesting is with Tom Pelissero writing this for NFL.com, there was also a story at CBSSports.com that essentially 
Century made a similar case that called both uh, Stocks and Campbell kind of the hot names right now. Guys who are going up the draft board, and it seems like those 40-yard dash times kind of help with all of that. So, and you know, I've told you before that I am a big believer this kind of stuff matters. I do think that Georgia's reputation is bolstered when it has players selected in the first round. You know, Kirby Smart's reputation as a player development guy, you know, I think is added when you have, you know, guys like this, especially in the case of Eric Stokes, who did not come to Georgia as an elite recruit, but certainly played that way during his time on the field to see NFL.com, Tom Palacero, Ian Rappaport, uh, CBSSports.com saying those things about him. I, I think that's all really good and I think it heads towards what could be a fairly nice feel-good story for Georgia uh, Thursday at the start of the NFL draft another example of that is what's going on with Richard LeCount right now now LeCount doesn't really factor into that first round or high-end draft conversation quite as much did not have a great pro day probably admittedly and also coming back from injury based on the motorcycle accident he suffered near the end of last season but Daniel Jeremiah another respected draft name also someone who works for an NFL com has also recently kind of come to the defense of LeCount after some folks were kind of doubting LeCount's pro credentials after what was probably not a great pro day. I read this from the uh, our friends at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution at AJC.com, but what Daniel Jeremiah said in a recent teleconference was talking to a bunch of teams that have all the GPS data on Richard LeCount. Uh, he says uh, if he plays, you're going to see the uh, 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 do the equivalent. He plays like he's a 4-4 safety, meaning someone who plays faster than his pro day stats would have suggested that he runs. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah saying that's how he plays on the field. He did have the accident. I don't think he's fully recovered from that he did not run well as pro day but this is what daniel jeremiah says most of the teams i've talked to are forgiving the workout and believing the player they saw on tape now i like that because i'm rooting for richard lecount and it's amazing how many georgia fans do you know at the uh, uga bookstore for g day the other day when lecount was signing his autographs there that day he had a huge crowd of folks gathered to be there with him get that photo get that autograph it just kind of gives you an idea of just how many people are rooting for lecount as he goes on to the next level so the idea that daniel jeremiah says when it comes to lecount folks are more interested in seeing what he did on the field in his game film than they are kind of what the, uh, happened with the pro day i take that as good news but beyond the fact that I'm ruling for LeCount, I take that as good news as well, just simply because isn't that the way you want football to be? I mean, don't you want what guys prove during games on Saturdays against elite college football conversation? Don't you want that to matter more than the kind of arbitrary evaluation of what may have gone on at a pro day? That's just the kind of football evaluation I'm a lot more comfortable with and so if that's truly the way that Daniel Jeremiah says LeCount's going to be treated uh, when he finally goes maybe I think Jeremiah's projecting maybe like a fourth round pick or something along those lines uh, at least having a chance to be drafted that high then I just think that's pretty good for football all the way around now admittedly there's another name here when it comes to the draft stuff for Georgia that I'm fairly curious about because I saw where I think it's Chad Reuter is it the guy's name that works for NFL.com he did not have Georgia outside linebacker Aziz Ojolari in his most recent first round projection in a latest mock draft other mock drafts I've seen still do have Ojolari there in the first round but he's also one of these guys that seems to be 
in that kind of late 20s to early 30s on most of these so-called big draft boards. I, I will say the same thing about Ojolari. I said about the cornerbacks, Campbell and Stokes, a moment ago. I think it is helpful for Georgia. Now, listen, I root for Ojolari. I hope he has a great pro career. But I do think it's helpful for Georgia if it can get Ojolari into the first round on Thursday. At one point in time, I thought he was fairly close to a first-round lock. Maybe it just seems like the overall the edge rushers aren't quite as you know beloved by this you know you know, you know, version of NFL GMs and draft scouts that kind of go through all of this. And so it seems like Ojolari is getting a little bit of an evaluation on the basis of that, that he's more of kind of a stand-up outside linebacker and a 3-4 defense than he is kind of hand-on-the-ground defensive end in a 4-3. And so maybe that affects his draft value just a little bit. But from the perspective of Georgia and putting the best foot forward for the program on draft night, clearly I'm rooting for Ojolari to be taken there in the first round. So if you're kind of following all of this, let me kind of sum it up. It seems like as of now, guys like Stokes and Campbell are kind of on the rise. Names to know as you head towards possibly even being taken there on Thursday night in the draft's first round. And if not that, maybe in the second round. Ojolari kind of teetering, it seems, in the late part of the first round. In some cases, mock drafts having him in the first part of the second. And then other guys like Richard LeCount and some of the rest of these UGA names also looking forward to having their names called here this weekend. It's going to be a fun NFL draft. It's always great TV. It's nice to see UGA factoring so prominently in that discussion. And obviously, we'll have a lot more on that over the next couple of days as we get ready for Thursday night. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. It is so nice to have you with us, no matter how you get to us today, live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Radio Noon, Athens Sports Radio 960, The Ref, and as a podcast, wherever you find them, the Apple Player, Google Player, WorldFamousDogNation.com, Spotify, many of you listen right there directly through SoundCloud. Of course, the show always available as well on the WorldFamousDogNation.com. Just really happy to have you with us, no matter how you uh, get to us today. And of course, a huge thanks to our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia for making all this possible. You know, as a homeowner, which I am, I can tell you that I spend a lot of time thinking about the you know, the, there's just the structure of your home, right? You don't want water creeping in. That can be the sign of a serious problem. When those cracks maybe show up on your walls, especially, you know, basement walls, foundation type stuff, that's the kind of thing that just gives you a little bit of a pause if you ever see that. Well, here's the one thing I want you to think about if and when you do see that. My friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia, uh, who are experts when it comes to foundation and waterproofing issues. They have two full-time engineers on staff. I mean, smart people who can do great things for you to kind of fix some problems you have. Now, the good news is, is sometimes these problems aren't super, you know, substantial. It's just a simple hardware store trip type fix. And if that's the case, then they'll tell you exactly how to do that. But when it's more than that, you want good people doing the work for you. And in addition to that, it's also great to do business with ESOG because they're proud partners of UGA. Uh, obviously, we like supporting those who support Georgia football. And they've been great friends of ours here on Dog Nation Daily for a long time. And that's another thing that I think makes them fun to do business with there as well. Easy to get in touch with there also. Just simply give them a call. 678. ESOG now. That's right. Dial this number 678 ESOG now, and that'll get you in touch with Engineered Solutions of Georgia. All right, we have Connor Riley coming up in just a moment. And 
One of the interesting discussions we're going to have with Connor today is apparently a slight difference of opinion from him compared to me about what the big issue for George is as we head towards the offseason. Connor had a great piece up at DogNation.com yesterday morning regarding the offensive line, and uh, I don't want to put words in Connor's mouth. Connor can explain this for himself here in a moment, but that the offensive line right now stands as a more significant concern for Georgia than the defensive back situation, just given the fact that you've got at least one starting position on the offensive line that's not quite settled. Uh, it's prob probably more accurate to say that Georgia right now doesn't know who its best five is. That's the language that Smart always uses, meaning that certain guys, Jamari Salyer in particular, candidates to start at a couple different spots there. And so figuring out the best five still hasn't fully been accomplished that yet for UGA. I have said on the show last week, and I wrote this on Sunday at DogNation.com, with as much respect as I do give to that idea that you got to figure out your best five and all of Georgia's hopes offensively, big year from JT Daniels, big year from a deep, stable, and crop of running backs, improved play from the wide receiving core. A lot of that can't be accomplished if you don't have really good play from your offensive line. In fact, on one of the shows a few weeks ago, we kind of referenced a meme that Cincinnati Bengals fans have been passing around about what happens for Joe Burrow and whoever you have at wide receiver. If you don't have you know good uh, good play from your offensive line, that that makes a lot of sense to us. That you got to have that good offensive line protection to get everything you want to get offensively but when it comes to comparing unanswered questions for Georgia to me I believe it's easier to find uh, an acceptable answer for your offensive line than it is for your defensive secondary right now simply on the basis of one idea the one thing that I do believe that the Georgia's offensive line has going for it that maybe right now the cornerbacks in particular, don't say secondary overall, but cornerbacks in particular don't quite have uh, going for them here at the moment. This, I think, is best explained by something that Cole Kubelik, the SEC network analyst who saw G-Day from the field uh, last Saturday and was a part of the coverage there of the SEC network, Cole, in talking about the offensive line with Mike Griffith two weeks ago, I thought the way in which he discussed how Georgia can navigate the kind of early days of the new-look offensive line, to me, this made a lot of sense. So let me let you hear this as a way of continuing this conversation. This is Cole Kublik on Georgia's offense and offensive line in particular. I think it's going to be a fantastic offense. I think it's going to be a fascinating watch because I think that there will be micro areas of growth throughout the course of the season. I think the first one to watch would be the offensive line. I'm, I'm not necessarily sold on the first offensive line that you get will be the offensive line that starts the majority of the games because I think there are some younger guys that are going to have a chance to play their way in. And also I think, too, when, when you have maybe some continuity and chemistry issues, you just lean towards experience because that will get you out of more, trouble more times than maybe talent will. It's that E word that Cole uses that matters so much to me. The presence of experience for this Georgia offensive line. Guys like Justin Schaefer, who've played a lot of football. At this point in time, Jamari Salyer returns as a full season starter. The same thing for Warren McClendon there as well. You know, that is a lot of of kind of what's out there for Georgia right now. That experience does provide Georgia an, an opportunity to kind of figure out its best five with comfort with some of the other spots there uh, along all of that. So so I think it is fair to say that the unanswered question about who Georgia's best five is 
is probably something worth paying attention to. But but overall, because of the presence of that experience, I do think finding a satisfactory, acceptable answer is a little bit easier, which is not to say that I don't think eventually George will do the same thing at cornerback there as well. But when it comes to experience of actually guys having been on the field and earning their stripes over the course of the last few years, Georgia just has less of that at cornerback than it does at the other spots. That's kind of my take on that. Connor has a little bit different opinion. We will do that with him coming up. Let me also remind you as we wrap up around the doghouse here today that the Kroger five-star moms uh, event promotion continues there at dognation.com. And if you want to find out more about this, you can go to dognation.com to get all the details and to find out how you can nominate a mom in your life, whether it's your mom or just a mom that you know, maybe your wife, uh, to be honored as one of our Kroger five-star moms. It's going to be really fun coming up in a few days we're going to spend five days and each of those days we'll name a new kroger five-star mom and i can't wait to celebrate these moms on our show and really can't wait to give a tremendous gift pack here which includes a 50 dollars kroger gift card a 50 dollars bath and body works gift card a 50 dollars home chef gift card this is a really nice prize pack so go to dognation.com to find out more details or if you're ready to just make a nomination info at dognation.com that's the email address info at dognation.com i talked to our buddy bj who helps us kind of behind the scenes here dog nation he was actually telling me that we've already gotten tons of submissions for this and he said some of the stories that he's read are really pretty terrific so uh, and a lot of our dog nation folks kind of helping us behind the scenes on all of this so huge thanks to all of them and it's so nice to hear so many great stories as folks just kind of celebrate the moms in their life what a uh, really cool thing to be able to do i'm glad we're able to do that here now by the way speaking of kroger it's also what's going to be a part of what happens with connor riley here it's a kroger fresh take with connor riley glad to have you with us as Dog Nation Daily rolls on right now. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. All right, so we'll bring on Connor Riley. A little bit of a difference of opinion in terms of my belief that, hey, offensive line for Georgia post-spring appears to be a little bit of an issue, but maybe the chances of coming with coming up with a, a good solution to whatever you still have questions about it, just you know, more likely because of the overall talent in the room and the experience that George can lean on. I, speaking as a fan, a little bit more concerned about defensive back, cornerback in particular, just because you don't quite have that same level of experience. The key to a successful position group is always going to be the intersection of talent and experience plenty of talent at cornerback not quite as much experience Connor it sounds like though you based on what you wrote at dognation.com yesterday have a difference of opinion I'm disappointed in you BA why is that you spent years and I mean literally years railing about the importance of Georgia needing to get better on offense about the importance of Georgia taking that step to have an elite offense and in that first game against Clemson you know what's going to win them that game it's not going to be defense. That's true. It's not going to be defense. And, and, you know, we've talked about this before. I've shared my views on it. Defense just doesn't matter as much as it used to in college football. I think if you can get a few sacks and tackles for loss here and there, that'll help. But winning the way that Kirby Smart did in his time at Alabama and even on that 2017 team here at Georgia, that's not how you win in college football anymore. You need an elite offensive line. And, and I don't see that right now for Georgia. It could get there eventually. But that first game – if Georgia loses, I think the biggest culprit is going to be that offensive line play because they will be unable to block Clemson's defensive front. Yeah, I think that's a really good point that, and we've said this before, because Clemson is so good with its defensive front, that's the kind of thing that could get you beaten in that game. I guess, though, my belief is, and you know, I don't quite know where Kirby is in all this. He certainly alluded to this, but I don't quite know, you know how far down the line here Matt Luke is on this, that if you had to go 
with Jamari Salyer at left tackle, Tate Ratledge at either like one of the guard spots, maybe Justin Schaefer stays at left guard, Tate Ratledge becomes right guard, but but Schaefer and Ratledge as your two guards in some form or fashion with likely Warren Erickson at center and uh, uh, Warren McClendon at, at right tackle. To me, that seems like as good an offensive line as you might be able to hope for with the idea that maybe Salyer moves back over to guard before the season is done, but... I mean, I don't want to be, you know, too cocky about all of this, but if that was my offensive line against Clemson, I don't think I'd be that worried about that. I, I just think back to that Cincinnati game. That Georgia offensive line did not play well that day. And yes, Xavier Trust was making his first career start, but someone is going to be making either their first or second career start on that Georgia offensive line against, I think, a much better Clemson defensive front. Georgia only ran for 45 yards that day. JT Daniels under constant pressure. got sacked three times in that game. And again, I, I you can, I think, scheme up ways to help out your cornerbacks. Kirby has said they have to get better at playing zone coverage. I think you're going to see a lot more of that out of Georgia this year. I think they can go into the transfer portal and address some of the experience issues, and I expect them to actually do that at the cornerback position. Yeah. On the offensive line, if you can't block, that messes up everything else you want to do, especially for a Todd Munkin offense that wants to take vertical shots. Those plays take time to develop, and if you can't block – or hold your blocks long enough, that that just doesn't allow you to do and operate the way Georgia Best wants to. So let me see if I can kind of distill this down to what I think you and I really are truly different on. Um, I, I'm pretty sure that neither of these position groups end up being bad. Mm-hmm. But I think that the cornerback spot has a better chance of being, air quotes here, bad than the offensive line. I just have a hard time believing, given the collection of guys who have played versus young guys who are really talented who haven't quite you know played yet. And, I, and listen, I hope I'm not, as I said before, just being too cocky or too flippant about this. I have a hard time believing the Georgia offensive line will be bad. At the very least, I think even against Clemson, it could be adequate. Um, you know, maybe I'm just underrating the the need to find that fifth starter here or figure out who your best five is and, and capable roles. But I have a hard time believing the group itself ends up being bad. I absolutely think, though, that Clemson's defensive line could make Georgia's offensive line look bad. Well, it- Go ahead. No, no, I'm sorry. I was just agreeing with the uh... – and, and, look, we can we can discuss off-season concerns, cornerback play, but you can't tell me that you're sitting here worried about what Luke Doty is going to throw – how Luke Doty is going to throw the ball against this Georgia secondary mm-hmm. or Ken Navy Seals is going to look at Vanderbilt's quarterback in that late September game against Georgia. When I when I going forward, when I say offseason concerns, these are all geared toward that Clemson game because that Clemson sure. game is so important for what yeah. is going to set the tone and tenor for this season. And, and to me – if there's a weak link that Georgia can get exposed and that can really gum up what Georgia wants to do in that game, it's that offensive line and getting outplayed by a Clemson team. So my last point on this, and we'll shift gears and talk about something different, is is that your first point is obviously a strong one that, listen, this is an offensive sport now in 2021, so therefore any issue on offense is going to matter slightly more than issues on defense. However, what you need cornerbacks for in 2021 is not to hold your opponent to 17 points. What you need cornerbacks for is to make just one less big play during a game. Because I mean, go back and watch the Alabama LSU game in 2019. Like, think about all the big plays that go on back and forth there. But it's just like one extra big play for LSU on the road that allow them to get the win against Alabama in that spot. And, you know, Alabama still made some fairly big plays in that game against LSU in 2019. But when you can make that just that one pass deflect when you really need it that one you know quarterback pressure when you really need it just that one subtraction of a would-be big play sometimes can be the difference in winning and losing and so that's what I need 
capable cornerbacks for. It's not to lead the nation in fewest points allowed because sometimes that's a little bit of a, of a misnomer type stat, but it's to limit the big plays against a big play offense. Instead of four, can I keep it to three? Instead of five, can I keep it to four? Can I make it one less than otherwise would have been? Because subtracting one 26-yard pass a lot of times is the difference in winning and losing. If I could retort here, I'd look back at the Georgia-Alabama game last year. Georgia stopped getting pressure on Mac Jones late in that game third quarter fourth quarter and at that point it was over Alabama's offensive line took over that game and, and really allowed them I think to really win that game especially when you have the skill talent that that team has I think so, so I said I was going to be dumb but I'll, I'll do one more here um so who do you think if we assume that the four of the start, the starters for Georgia are Salyer I'm going to say Erickson for now take a liberty and say mm-hmm. that although I think that SVP is going to be hard to keep up the field forever uh but Salyer Erickson, Schaefer, uh, McClendon. Who is the fifth person that, uh, let's say for now, starts against Clemson? Today, April 27th, yeah. I will say Xavier Truss. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's a big job for Truss. There's no question about that. That is a mm-hmm. very, very big job. So so you do think it's Truss at tackle more so than Ratledge guard. Yeah, I think they want – I mean, Tate will play a lot in that game, but they want experience there, and, and, and Truss does have an experience edge over Ratledge when it comes to that. All right, let me move uh, on here in our Kroger Fresh Take and uh, talk to you about this here for a little bit. I, you know, I talked offensive line a uh, moment ago – or sh- I should say I talked draft NFL draft talk – a moment ago it, it's fun for me to see Tyson Campbell Eric Stokes seemingly on the rise here at least in the eyes of the media we'll find out if the NFL GMs actually feel that way a little concerned about some of the stuff I've heard about Ojolari as of late you obviously follow the draft stuff a lot more closely than I do this is only a passing fancy for me where it's a little bit more of an obsession for you what do you make of the Georgia guys ahead of Thursday Thursday could be I think a really good night if things break the right way and they could potentially get three guys in the first round which is absolutely what I think you need especially to try and sell to recruits that you can develop guys into first round talents I also think Georgia could see zero guys taking that first day and to be to be like some of you might think this is overblown if if Georgia has zero guys taken in the first round on, on Thursday that's disastrous. It will be a negative recruiting point. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things where, like, this I say the phrase honesty compels me to admit a lot. This is one of those things where you just sort of have to be honest. There are wins and losses in life. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to the draft narrative, things like that, if Georgia were to have zero first round picks, that would be a little bit of an L. Now, listen, it's not the kind of thing you can't overcome because they're going to have, you know, a great chance at multiple second round picks. And obviously, you have three guys in the top 15 picks on Friday. And obviously, going to have a ton of guys who, as you head towards next year's draft, are going to still get, you know, big time buzz. But this is one of those things that people are watching for. They mm-hmm. are watching to see how well Georgia develops guys that come through the program. And I have said this before, that this is an area that Georgia has lagged behind the very best in the SEC, the very best in college football, in terms of the front end of the NFL draft, where Alabama may have five, five. first-round yep. picks. They may have six, f- potentially. Yeah, they're going to have four in the top 15 or something yep. crazy like that. Um, uh, you know, you got you know Waddle flying up the boards right now. Uh, obviously, you know, Devontae's right there, quarter back and then certain as well uh Najee has a very good chance of being a first round pick too um I mean that comparison is ongoing and it is the kind of thing that you have to be mindful of and I, I still think that Kirby gets a little bit of a bad rap for some of this kind of stuff because he hasn't been at Alabama near at Georgia nearly as long as Nick Saban has been in Alabama he just hasn't been around you know quite as long so he hasn't quite have the machine working there yet but it would be a little bit of a setback if you know the 
you know, the, the 2018 class, which was a number one rated recruiting class, if that group of juniors, some of who've, you know, decided to move on from the program, if they were to move on and that group didn't produce a first round pick, that would be noticed by some people. Yeah. And I think the reason this year in particular, it's a little bit worse for Georgia is you no longer have this excuse that these aren't Kirby's players. These right. are all guys that it, Ben Cleveland was signed in 2016. So he spent his entire career with Kirby Smart, 2017 seniors, 2018 juniors. These are all guys Kirby Smart evaluated as recruits and coached up at the University of Georgia. And I'll let you guys in on a dirty little secret here. The only thing recruits really, really care about are getting the college football playoff and going in the first round of the NFL draft or becoming a high NFL draft pick. They can say fans, academics, coaching staff, whatever. Those first two things are far and away the most important thing. And Georgia, last couple of years, hasn't been able to get into the playoff. But they've at least been close. And if a few breaks go their way, maybe they get in there. This, on the other hand, if they get zero, which I think they could, Aziz is sliding a little bit to me, and I think the reason for that is that he just doesn't have the same athletic upside that, say, a Jalen Phillips out of Miami, a Gregory Rosu out of Miami, Quiddy Pay out of Michigan has, just because he's only 6'2". If he were 6'4", he'd be a top 15 pick, no doubt about it in my mind. And so because of these guys sliding and potentially falling out of the first round, it's a concern for me going forward because it's something you're absolutely going to hear, and until you start to see those guys consistently developed in the first-round draft picks – it's going to be a question, and ultimately that goes into potentially hurting Georgia on the recruiting front. So a couple things here. First of all, for Ojalar, if you just want to evaluate him as a player, he's still equally good yeah. as a player if he's taking 36 or 29. Yes. Right? Like in terms of his value. It's pure a, marketing. Yeah, as, as a player, he's still the same player. Mm-hmm. And obviously there, there's so much like about Ojalari, I'd be shocked if he isn't a good pro. But this is a marketing thing of can you go in the first 32? One thing I'll admit to not knowing as much about – I know the life-changing money that comes from being one of those first 32 players selected. What is the financial drop-off of being a second-round pick? So obviously the the guaranteed money you get shrinks as you go deeper into the draft. The other thing that is, I think, important to keep in mind is teams have a little bit more control over their first-round picks. They can extend them to a five-year contract right away, where second-round picks are automatically four-round pick or are automatically four-year contracts. So if you're Aziz, while you might lose a little yeah. money up front, if you're a second-round pick, in the long run, it might be better for you because it does allow you to get to that second contract sooner. Uh, how about some of the other names? I, I see Trey McKitty showing up in some of these conversations in a pretty interesting way. Anybody else from that kind of sort of, I guess, next level of Georgia draft prospects that you think is kind of interesting at the moment? Yeah, I, I think Ben Cleveland and Monty Rice will be interesting to me, see if those guys can go late third round on uh, on Friday night as opposed to Saturday morning. I think if you can stock those guys up, because ultimately I do think those guys are both NFL players and it'll be interested to see how NFL teams view them. McKitty's fascinating to me, much in the same way like Charlie Warner was. Like I don't think a lot of people expected Charlie Warner to get drafted last yeah. year goes in the sixth round mckitty is similarly a and georgia tight end fewer than 10 catches over the course of the season gonna be an nfl draft and pick. warner was really active for yes. most of the season last year for yeah he played he played yeah. i mean they, san francisco was devastated by injuries but he right. played a good bit last year for them so uh, mckitty's interesting ultimately the guy that that is the most interesting to me is richard lecount because yes he did not test well in his pro day that was not the best version of richard lecount that i believe we have seen but Look, I watched him play for four years at Georgia, really starting the last three. He was absolutely, in my mind, the best defensive player in the SEC through the first five weeks of last season. 
he can absolutely play at an NFL level. As a New England Patriots fan, who they're a team that needs a safety, I'd be thrilled if they got him in the fifth or sixth round as a potential guy that could play for them early on. And listen, really, the biggest name out there, I think, when it comes to draft conversation, at least the most, I would say, respected name for me is Daniel Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. I like him better than the guys that do it for ESPN. I mean, if Jeremiah is being quoted by the AJC as saying, you know, some of the things that he said that I read off the very top of the program today, I mean, like that's a that's a fairly good endorsement if you're LeCount to get that kind of praise mm-hmm. from Daniel Jeremiah as someone who played much better than his pro day film would have showed you. Right. And, you know, Jeremiah mentions the GPS numbers. Georgia has that information. We'll absolutely release it to teams. And again, you put on the tape, he is an absolute difference maker or was for this Georgia team. I think if he's out there against Florida, that game goes a little bit differently does Georgia win I don't know certainly not with the quarterback play they got that day but the defense certainly doesn't give up the 44 points and 400 plus passing yards that they do with him out there so he was a true impact player for Georgia and I absolutely think he's got the skills and ability to be a starter level player at the NFL level all right Kroger fresh take here with Connor I want to talk about the latest in the Dan Lanning situation here coming up in just a moment before that let me remind you uh, we're doing our five-star moms we're there with Kroger also if you want to just celebrate your own five-star mom in your own way there Kroger can help you get stocked up for all that uh, gifts your mom will love uh, you can get those at Kroger also you know, chocolate candies all that kind of stuff also the outdoor stuff you know we think about Mother's Day kind of being that entry way into the spring and all the fun that kind of goes along with that well don't forget patio furniture and uh, all kinds of really cool gift cards greeting cards all of that as we head towards Kroger and Mother's Day website go to Kroger's Kroger.com slash Mother's Day. That's Kroger.com slash Mother's Day. You can find out a lot more about that. All right, quick timeline on the Dane Lanning thing. Obviously, in January, we found out that Lanning, after overtures from Texas, was going to stay at Georgia, not take the D.C. job there. But then in March, after Les Miles was let go at Kansas because of some things that happened years ago to LSU, Dennis Dodd from CBS Sports had mentioned the idea that Lanning, because of his ties to the state of Kansas, his time growing up in Kansas City, that maybe he might be a candidate for the Kansas job. Then on Friday, we talked about this on Dog Nation Daily, presented by ESOG, that football scoop was suggesting that Lanning might be one of the names that actually interviews for this job but since then I think we've seen the news cycle kind of spin the other direction the latest Adam Rittenberg from ESPN kind of pointing out that the prime candidates the top tier of candidates that Kansas job are some of the names we've mentioned before Lance Leopold from Buffalo uh, I think Jeff Munkin from Army the only non-head coach that I saw on the Adam Rittenberg list was Mike Elko the defensive coordinator at Texas A&M at this point in time Connor we, I think, can move off the idea that Lanning as a serious candidate leave UJ right now because somehow I don't see anybody, the, I don't see the entirety of this top group turning down Kansas. Munkin, I think, actually wants the job. I think he's made it known that Jeff, he does. Jeff, not Todd. Yeah, yeah, clarify. yeah. To be very clear, this is <laughs> Jeff Munkin, the Army head coach, not Todd Munkin, the Georgia offensive coordinator. I think the landing part of this is just about done. Yeah, it never really made a whole lot of sense to me when you consider, I think, if he waits, I guess – seven eight months now he could very well be a very attractive head coaching candidate come that next coaching carousel you look at a guy like mel tucker went from the georgia defensive coordinator role to the colorado head coach job um you know i think this is absolutely a job and landing is a very attractive candidate it makes sense why kansas would want him but if you're landing i think if you if things go well for this georgia defense this year which they very well could if georgia has the season a lot of us think that they can have he's going to be a very attractive name and quite frankly he's going to be able to get jobs that are better than kansas and because of that i think it's it's smart of him to wait to be patient and say hey 
I, I know I can cash in now, take sort of the guaranteed. If I really want the Kansas shop, he could probably get it. But save your chips a little bit, wait for that really big hand, and cash in when you absolutely have have the hand to do so. And listen, the reason why I keep you know bringing this up is, A, because I think there is genuine interest to find out you know how all this is going to play out regarding Lanning. But the other thing here is, is that I still think that Lanning is slightly underrated in the part of Georgia fans who obviously saw big point totals allowed in the game against Alabama and Florida a year ago. And so it's only natural that would cause some people to kind of question what's really happening with Georgia defensively. But I don't think there's anything happening with Georgia defensively that is out of whack, as you mentioned a moment ago, with kind of the overall trend in the sport towards more points and defense just Mm -hmm. kind of mattering less. But we gave you the pick six previews number the other day that on a per play basis adjusted for opponent, Georgia still, you know, was the top defense in the country, at least according to their metrics. And if you can take those seriously, if you want to. But the point is, is that Dan Lanning is still doing big things, mm-hmm. I believe, as Georgia's defensive coordinator. I think the identity transformation that's undergone here, where Georgia last year was just better at getting after quarterbacks than it had been in a number of years, even predating Kirby Smart. This was just a more aggressive pass rush team a year ago. I love that identity transformation. So even though you've got guys like Glenn Schumann or possibly Will Muschamp waiting the wings that could have taken over for Lanning had he left, the fact that Dan is seemingly, to my eyes right now, not leaving, I take that as really good news for Georgia. Mm -hmm. Keeping him, not taking the Texas job, not taking some random head coaching job, to me is still one of the most undercovered stories of the Georgia offseason this Yeah, and to me, since he got promoted to defensive coordinator, it's been obvious I think he's been on a track to become a head coach. And because of that, maybe people haven't always – embraced him the way that they embrace other assistants because they know he like ultimately he's not here for the long haul he's going to go on to become a better head coach or a a head coach somewhere else And, and I think because of that they've already sort of viewed him as we really like having him here he does a great job for this program but ultimately we know two three years from now when the guys he's recruiting are becoming star players he's not going to be here so I you know again I expect Georgia to have a very good defense this year I'll be interested how they change and adapt because I do think they're gonna have to be different from last year compared to this year just because they're not as deep at outside linebacker but if Lanning does what he did last season and the tinkers that he made and those continue this year, I expect Georgia still to have a very good defense, even if you're pretty worried about those cornerbacks that they have out I mean, there. I'll go back to the 2019 LSU team a moment ago because I mentioned them. Uh, I think what that team proved is, in some cases, your defensive identity matters more than your actual stats do. The LSU defense 2019 was pretty, by national championship standards, pretty mediocre. Yeah. But they were better than most at sacking the quarterback and pretty good when it comes to actually knocking balls out of the air. Derek Stingley had a bunch of passes broken up, for instance. So they were kind of not great, statistically speaking, but their personality of, hey, we're going to make some of those havoc plays. We're going to get after him in the backfield a little bit. Uh, Clavon Jason, for instance, um, we're going to you know go out there and, and you know defend some passes and make it hard to make big passing plays on us. In that particular case, it was an identity that worked, even though the overall defensive statistics were probably not that great right that's what georgia is ultimately you know in an ideal world georgia would love to do both they'd love to be that stingy defense that in 2019 didn't give up a rushing touchdown by to a running back and and combine that with 2020 where sure they gave up a few more plays but they also sacked the quarterback created more turnovers at a higher rate and i I think combining that is going to be a very difficult task for landing but i think he's absolutely someone who can meet and accomplish that all right good stuff connor thanks for being here on our kroger fresh take we'll look forward to reading a whole bunch from you at dognation.com yep as always was a pleasure ba 
let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. A lot of SEC stuff to roll through now that are SEC Through. Let's make sure uh, we do that. I'm going to try to do this you know, fairly quick because I want to kind of get it all in here. I'm going to start with something just amazing you know how long it seems like Kirby Smart era has been going on. I saw where former Alabama linebacker Ben Davis has announced his plans to transfer to Texas. And when I think about Davis, like one of the things that always kind of you know comes to mind for me is the work that Georgia was kind of doing there, leading up that 2016 recruiting cycle, trying to get him as a part of Kirby Smart's first class. I mean, doesn't that seem like a thousand years ago? <laughs> but uh, here is Davis, you know, still in big time college football, now moving on to Texas. Obviously, Steve Sarkeesian knows him after having worked there in Tuscaloosa. But that's a pretty big time former name that was a big recruit never quite found that home on the field for the crimson type i'm going to try things new there at texas and i guess kind of a blast for the past from those who were following georgia's 2016 recruiting cycle there pretty closely by the way speaking of the state of texas the other major program there in that state is texas a&m it's kind of funny there are a lot of people who mock me for those of you who may not be quite aware they think that I talk too much about Texas A&M during this space of the show because I do believe that A&M is a legit contender for the SEC West this year. I'm always kind of looking for that kind of somewhat contrarian take, that semi-surprise team, and I was kind of on Texas A&M a year ago. I'll, I'll claim victory on that, and now looking to see that maybe even improved upon here this upcoming year. But some people think that my desire to kind of find that team leads me to talk about them a little too much. So now my Twitter mentions, about half my Twitter mentions these days seem to be just uh, listeners or viewers to this program who are tagging me in like random Texas A&M news because they know that they think that's what I want to hear. So I got sent this story yesterday. Shadrick Banks, uh, former four-star wide receiver signing for the class of 2021, goes through spring practice with the Aggies there, but apparently is now leaving that program. Matt Zenitz, who reports all this transfer stuff, I think he had this first. Other folks have been doing that there as well. Banks is a big receiver. He's like 230 pounds or something like that. So this is a pretty big guy all the way around, but apparently he did not enjoy Texas A&M spring practice one way or another because after having been there, kind of gone through it, he is now leaving. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of this. There's going to be a lot of these names. And this is, I want to say the what? We've had a few of these even from the 2021 class who are now back on the open market again. So a second chance for some recruitments for uh, some of these guys, but that's kind of uh, ongoing here. Sounds like Banks on his way out of Texas A&M. By the way, I wanted to make sure we mentioned this because we had certainly talked about it, the twists and turns on this. So it is now official. Joe Milton is going to Tennessee. There was the report last week from some of the Florida media, because that's where Milton's from, that he was still trying to decide if he wanted to go to Tennessee or Washington State. And sometimes these guys just want to control the timing of their own announcement. We had suggested about last week that may be what's going on with Milton. Uh, this is indeed the case. He is now officially going to Tennessee. And the Tennessee quarterback situation that already includes another transfer in Hendon Hooker, former starter at Virginia Tech, and guys like Brian Maurer and Harrison Bailey, who've been there at Tennessee, Caden Salter, who's currently suspended. There are a lot of names in that Tennessee quarterback derby. I know the Josh Heupel was talking about some of this post-spring game on Saturday after the Vols got together for their orange and white game. But now Milton officially in the fold there. I've said before, listen, if you're a quarterback-friendly coach like Heupel, easy to believe that you can get more out of Milton than the previous staff got out of him at Michigan. But there's also something to be said. And I talked about this in SEC Country Live last week. There's also something to be said for when you've got so much attrition off your program, so many big names like Lavaris Crouch and Henry Tootoo 
in the transfer portal already. Why would you make a move that would only open up more players to cons potentially consider that transfer portal? At a certain point in time, do you want to? Don't you want to do something that kind of nods and gestures towards continuity? And I think not taking Milton may have been the best move for Tennessee with that in mind, especially when you've got Danny White, the Tennessee athletic director, in the pages of ESPN.com this week, preaching patience and long-term build and things like that. Bringing in Joe Milton does not seem to be a long-term build type move, but I guess that's going down. Uh, also on the heels of the South Carolina spring game on Saturday, Shane Beamer, the Gamecocks head coach, kind of came out and said that, yes, unless something crazy happens, Luke Doty will be our starting quarterback this upcoming season. That's not a surprise. Doty's the best quarterback on that roster by a long shot. And frankly, this is one of the things that, you know, for Mike Bobo, who's trying to reinvent himself now as Auburn offensive coordinator, this is one of the things that I think he and I would suggest Will Muschamp got, got wrong a little bit last year. I thought they waited too late to push the Luke Doty button. Doty didn't have a great game when he played Georgia necessarily, but I think he clearly upgraded that South Carolina quarterback situation when he did you know, kind of come in there on that. So I don't know how good Doty has a chance to be, but I, I do think Luke gives you competency there in Columbia for a new coach Shane Beamer. So he's actually probably in a better quarterback situation than some of these other SEC teams probably find themselves in. And then I'll mention this. This is just kind of a uh, follow-up to things we've talked about before. So Xavier Worthy was a Michigan wide receiver signee that also got out of his letter of intent. He has officially now landed at Texas, so that's a name you can take out of the portal. And then Mike Woods, as we told you he was probably going to do, I believe it is now official with him now moving on to Oklahoma. So a couple of names we've talked about and kind of wondered what might happen for them. It is now official worthy to Texas. A lot of folks thought that was what was going to go down to begin with. Mike Woods to Oklahoma, and that's one of those things that, boy, that came along really fast. Uh, and the, some of this transfer stuff goes really, really fast, and that's an example of one that's you know you had Arkansas like tweeting about Mike Woods after their spring game, and then two days later, you got you know Oklahoma writers saying he's coming to to Norman. That's a that's a it's an odd world we live in sometimes, but nonetheless, we'll make that your SEC through. All right, so as we get ready to wrap up today, let me remind you that you can always participate in our Gator Hater Roll Call. We love identifying some of the great Georgia fans who love hating on those Gators in our section here on the show each and every day so hit me up on twitter at dog nation daily or you can go uh and just share with me whatever you want to share we'll make you a potential winner for our golden shoe each and every day here to close out our show dog nation daily presented by engineered solutions of georgia i'll also remind you that one of the great ways to get involved in all the things we're doing from a video standpoint including the show each and every day is to be a dog nation youtube subscriber the great thing is there you can actually set your notifications to find out every time we go live and all of the great like press conference video and player interviews and all the things that go on there. It's all cataloged right through the Dog Nation YouTube page. So thanks for becoming a subscriber for those of you who have. I'll invite the rest of you to join us there, Dog Nation on YouTube. And by the way, speaking of those lousy, stinking gators, how about a gator hater countdown? 186 days from right now. Georgia goes to Jacksonville, beats the gators. We'll see you tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. And on the podcast, time now for our R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down. We'll take your comments here. Of course, all of it brought to you by R.S. Andrews. Uh, the, first, the folks you can trust and turn to for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs, find them online at rsandrews.com. They'll show up on time. They'll do the work that's promised for the price that's promised. Uh, that's why I love recommending them. Find them today, rsandrews.com. All right, a couple of your comments here right now. William Perry sent this to me on Twitter. We talked the other day about the new overtime rules that are going to now 
demand that starting the third overtime you go for two and that's all it's going to be in, in other words used to be that you had this moment where you had to start going for two after touchdowns now that's going to happen in college football after the second overtime then after that it's just going to be corresponding two-point plays I, I think this is a really bad idea for a number of reasons and i kind of agree with what william perry said which is in some of these situations to have to keep running back and forth the offense on and off the field defense on and off the field after ever the play is going to make for kind of a weird looking logistical scene i think williams kind of right about that the overall success rate for two-point conversions is somewhere between 40 something 50 percent you know you're going to have a couple of these games every now and then where it's just going to be a series of two-point successful conversions over and over again some of these games end up lasting um you know, kind of a long time with with teams just running the same play over and over. So I'm not a huge fan of that, and I think that in this particular case, William brings a pretty good point as to why. Over here on the comment section of dognation.com and other places you can drop your line in to be included in our podcast, Cool Down, Duke Duke weighs in to say that he's heard several national college football guys recently raving about Oklahoma for a run of the national title this year. He says, how much fun would it be for UGA to play them again? this time in the national championship game if that happened do you think it would be hyped more or less than 2017 game i do think it makes for a good matchup i think duke duke anytime you have contrasting styles sometimes that can make for a lot of fun and even as georgia kind of takes a big step forward offensively and frankly one of the maybe underappreciated stories of last year was the fact that oklahoma actually got better defensively as well these are still two programs with kind of young up-and-coming coaches that do present some contrasting styles so I do think it'd be a hyped matchup maybe even more so than the 2017 matchup was because now these two programs have a little bit of backstory with each other and if you want to know kind of why you know Oklahoma is getting some of the love they're getting I think their second preseason FPI uh part of the reason for that was Oklahoma especially sacking quarterbacks Oklahoma defensively last year was really better than they had been so that's where kind of part of that comes from and obviously with Rattler and you know, all the other offensive playmakers at their disposal. I saw where Oklahoma was recently touting Jaden Hazelwood on Twitter. It sounds like they're expecting big things from him this year. So, so yeah, I mean, this is an Oklahoma team that's going to be right in the thick of that national championship conversation, and we'll see if this is, you know, a team deserving of being that because, like, the one problem Oklahoma has is, you know, they actually, you know, were in a big fight with Georgia in the 2017 game. But other than that, you know, kind of blown out by Oklahoma in 2018, blown out by LSU in 2019, not really showing themselves of worthy when being in that playoff conversation. A couple of comments about Dan Lanning in here as well. DC Dog had wondered that if Lanning would have been hired by Kansas, who would become the defensive coordinator? Uh, I think that you have two really good candidates already in-house for that, either the young up-and-coming name Glenn Schumann, who I think you could very easily hire for that job, or someone like Will Muschamp, who's been a defensive coordinator before and obviously working as an analyst at Georgia right now. Part of me still wonders when it comes to Muschamp how much he wants to once again be considered for head coaching jobs and things like that, and if that's obviously what you want then you probably want to sidestep and steer clear of defensive coordinator opening. So maybe it would have been Schumann who would have gotten the job. But if you're George, it's nice to know you have a couple of options available. Uh, Pete's dogs also saying that Lanning would have been a fool to take the Kansas position with all of its baggage. He should give the dogs two or three more years and a top-tier head coaching position would be open. Yeah, and you sort of get the sense from the media in and around Lawrence, Kansas, where this obvious conversation is emanating from, that they maybe still view Lanning as being just a little bit young in comparison to some of the head coaches and things like that so maybe he needs a little bit more seasoning I mean the only argument I'd ever made in favor of why someone like Lanning might consider the job is much the same way like Michigan State for instance so desperate to hire a head coach that you 
you know, go for the kind of the professional phase of Amel Tucker, even though Tucker at that point in time had only been in Colorado for what, just the one year. But you have to give him, you know, pretty big bucks to get him to take the job because you need to kind of put a kind of a professional polish on what it is that you're trying to do. You know, there was a chance that Lanning kind of benefited from the same thing. And I say this sort of half kiddingly, half seriously, but if you give me that three plus million dollar per year contract and promise me five years trying to get it fixed, Honestly, at the end of that time, if my job chances are lesser after that, then I'm not quite so sure that's such a bad life to have made, you know, upwards of $20 million with a chance to go back and be a defensive coordinator or an FCS level coach or something like that. I mean, look at Will Muschamp. And the fact of the matter is Muschamp has made so much money as a head coach, you almost wonder how big of a hurry he is to do anything again, given the fact that he's already been fairly well paid. So at this stage of the game, it seems like the only coordinator Kansas is seriously considering is maybe Elko. Uh, and maybe it's because Elko wants the job more than Lanning does. We don't really know that. But between the dude from Eastern Michigan, whose name I always forget, uh, Jeff Munkin, the Army coach, and Lance Leopold, the um, the Buffalo coach, and I guess Skip Holtz is all Southern Miss coach Skip Holtz, not Southern Miss, uh, Louisiana Tech coach. Louisiana Tech coach Skip Holtz, I guess, is also in the mix for all this a little bit there too. So there you have that. Thanks for being here for our RS Andrews podcast cool down. Find them online, rsandrews.com. Air conditioning unit, they can get it tuned back up to factory fresh specs. It's warm right now. You want that AC working good inside your house. R.S. Andrews will make sure that it will. Find them online at rsandrews.com. I'll also see you back here tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Hope you all have a great day.